0: You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. My name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here. I think most of you guys know me or i have at least met you before. If you don't know me, you're online or something like that, then that's who I am. Um, happy to continue our time in worship together as we go into God's word. And uh, you hear me say this a lot uh, that we consider this a time of worship. This is not kind of some set-aside time where it's like we come together, we read a little bit, we learn something, and this empowers us to go worship. No, in these moments right now, uh, we're going to set our eyes. We're going to go to God's word. We're going to open God's word, turn it on, whatever you do. It's not about the book. I mean, but just his words given to us to reveal himself, to show us who he is, uh, and then from there, we're going to ask God to speak to us as we explore these words. And to set our eyes upon Jesus um, and to worship him and for our hearts to be transformed uh, as we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and Perfector of our faith. And I don't mean to get lit right off the bat, um, but this is what we're fitting to do right now. And let me start a timer. We're going to be here all day. Um, and it's going to be a beautiful moment. And so I just wanted us to kind of focus our attention on what we're going to do right now uh, as we do continue a time in worship by going to God's word. And inviting him to speak to us and so yeah that that's what we're doing and um before we jump further into that I do want to take a second on, on a non it's hard because I already started down this path of like getting super deep and so on. now I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a hard right turn and pull us back into something else before we jump forward I want to take a moment and celebrate our prayer and care event that we had yesterday yeah yeah absolutely um I uh Just want to celebrate the people that came out. I heard so many stories about uh, these super cool interactions, being invited into people's homes. Prayer and care, for those of you that don't know, is just our space where we get together uh, on a Saturday morning and then we go out into the community and just ask people how we can pray for them. The goal uh, is primarily uh, to pray for the needs of the community and to serve the needs of the community through prayer, and through the sharing of the gospel. But the secondary obvious uh, implication of that is that we do get a chance to let them know that within this community uh, here in Southeast Austin that has historically lacked churches, there is now a place for them to go and to receive good news and to hear more about the hope that we desire to offer them there in that moment as we pray for them. And so those moments are special to us. We treasure those, and we got to do that yesterday, and it was just, I heard so many great stories uh so i just want to celebrate that and also want to say thank you to all uh the few the proud the marines uh that that came out and we like yo we're just gonna go door to door and just pray for people and it was like yeah all right y'all getting lit um so yeah it was incredible and then i also want to take the moment to just kind of encourage all of us right like man next time we do that go i think we're just going to do another one like a couple of weeks or something like that uh go i understand we have like prior engagements i understand we may have work i literally only got to be there for a second and like pray for us as we got started and then i had to jump because i had a seminary class that was like meeting on saturday and so i had to jump into that so i didn't get to stay there the whole time and so i understand all those things happen but if you're like chilling on a saturday right and you're like yo um saturday morning cartoons or going to this, I don't know why that was the thing I thought of. But Saturday morning cartoons or whatever your Saturday morning consists of. Or get up, uh, Union guy look flashy, right? Sweats and a t-shirt um, and some tennis shoes. And then to go out and say, hey, I'm going to spend some time praying for individuals and serving the community. It is such an encouragement to refresh the truth of who, the, who Jesus is and the work of the gospel for our own hearts as we go and share that with other people. So I just want to encourage us Next time we do it, man, come out. If you're free on that Saturday morning come out. Uh, it, it was a blessing to us. We're praying that it was a blessing to the people that we were able to serve and will continue to be a blessing as we move forward. Now, uh, hey, now onto the matter at hand. Uh, as I mentioned, we we'll to be continuing uh, our time in worship in the word. And so we're going to continue our series in Galatians. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in a city called Galatia, uh, where we're focusing uh, through this series on the idea of freedom in Christ, The reality that we're free. We're free in our identities. Our conscience is free. Our spiritual life is free. We're free from social and cultural standards. It's an amazing book that if you really dig in, start to understand uh, the beauty of the gospel that Paul preaches in this book and the implications that it has for us, it is a life-changing six chapters of Scripture. Uh, it is. It has been one of those books of the Bible that has been held close to theologian uh, and really the church's heart for centuries, uh, and we don't rank and tier any book of the Bible as better than another, but I'll say this one has been a lot of people's favorites over the course of time. Um, and so we kicked off the series two weeks ago with Sean, Pastor Sean, however you refer to Sean, uh, starting us off in chapter one, helping us see how our stories begin to interact uh, really with the gospel. And oftentimes we can begin to add on these elements of our own stories to the gospel, making it the gospel, making it Jesus plus whatever we interject in there and how that's really not the case, right? It's just Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. And so he helped us see how our stories can lean into that and how we have to be careful that. And last week, uh, Juhan, Pastor Juhan, however, I I used to kind of like kind of try to dissuade people from that sort of like honorable language of calling someone pastor X, Y, and Z, but I'm starting to try to change my mind about that as much as I can. Um, And so Pastor Juhan uh, came through, one of my friends, one of my good friends, and shared with us out of the first five verses of Galatians uh, chapter 2, really exploring how the gospel provides us identity, mission, how it empowers us in community. Uh, And so we already have had a great couple of weeks. If you didn't get a chance to tune into into those, I would encourage you to go back uh, to the YouTube channel, to the podcast, and check those out. And today we're actually going to be continuing in Chapter 2, except we're going to take a closer look at how all this works, okay? How all this works. What do I mean by that? How all this freedom talk works, right? We're saying we have freedom, we have a new identity, we have a new mission, but the question is how does that happen, right? How does that, how, does those, how do those transformations take place? Because often we can sit in here and we can be like, yeah, I like that. You know, I, I do have a new identity, and I want a new identity, and we get rah rah up. And I'll be honest, right? I, I, I know I, whether I'm a good preacher or not, I don't know, but I know for certain I'm a good rah-rah. And so we can rah-rah really good in here, get outside of this context, and then life punches you in the face. And then you mess up one, two, three, 19, 100 times. And all of a sudden, our experience as human beings begins to contradict the truths that we experience and that we believe in this space while we're walking through our lives from Monday to Saturday. And the lies of the enemy, the lies of our own flesh, the lies of the world starts to kind of uh, uh, rain down on us. And the question of, are you really what you believed you were on Sunday starts to enter into our mind. And the truths that we believe in this space become contradicted by our experience and our ability to believe those truths begins to be strangled by that experience. And all of a sudden, uh, we find ourselves reverting back to the same things that we were doing. That's why really it is oftentimes necessary for us to come into this space and hear like the same message over and over again. Because Monday through Saturday, oftentimes life gets here and punches you in the face and all of a sudden you came in here believing a lot of the same things that you believed the last time you came in here and need the declaration of the gospel the same way you did the last time you came in here as well that makes sense but but what we want to aim for and again this is not a guarantee right it's not like it's like yo, just do this and you're never gonna have to worry about this again Uh, rather what we want to aim toward and work toward is is the ability to fall back onto when life punches you in the face to fall back onto kind of the mechanics of how these things work Right, the mechanics of how freedom and new identity works. The mechanics and, and, and really the way it all comes together so that when all of a sudden you're faced with those challenges that life is giving you, that life is throwing at you, you fall back and go, no, 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 see, I know that, that, that you're trying to trick me. I know that the lies of the enemy, the flesh of of the world, those systems around me are trying to trick me into making me believe that these things aren't true. But I'm falling back into how all of this works so that I can respond and go, no, 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 here's the reason why it is true. Here's the reason why I I, I do have a new identity. Here's the reason why I am forgiven. Here's the reason why I do have the blessings that I have. Here's the reason why God does accept me and walk with me. Here's the reason why I am his and he is mine, right? Understanding those mechanics empowers us in the moments when our experience, again, our very real experience as humans, begins to come in and say, are you sure that's true? And then all of a sudden we respond and say, no, this is why it's true. This is how it's true. These are the realities that I cling to in the midst of those challenges. Um, it really does remind me of a time that my dad bought a phone. Uh, and if, if you have a story like this, people are already laughing. you are like, my dad's bought a phone. I know exactly what you're going to say. Um, and he's right back there. You can ask him about it later on if you want to. Uh, but uh, the iPhone 11s had just come out, and he went to the store to get a new phone, and he he went in there, and he, right off the bat, was like, hey, I'm looking for a new phone. Uh, the, the guy, the young whippersnapper selling him a phone uh, was like, hey, uh, here is, uh, what are you looking for, right? Rather, he was like, what are you looking for? My dad said, I want a great camera because I love my grandkids, and my dad loves my kids. Like, he's just, he's obsessed with my children. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so he's saying, I want a good camera. Uh, the young whippersnapper looks at my dad and says, well, let me walk you over here. And he, he takes my dad to this table, and he shows him not the iPhone 11. Heck, he don't even show him the, the iPhone XS or whatever the one right before that was. He don't show him the iPhone 11, uh, what is it, Pro. He's like, here's the iPhone 11 Pro Max, right? The very highest end of the iPhone lineup that you can possibly get to. And he's like, this thing has an incredible camera, right? You take pictures all day. And if you don't know, this is a phone that's really created for people that work in like a creative space, You know, like it has like weird little camera tricks and software and records in very specific types of files that are used to create content that we eventually put on the internet, right? So sometimes people use this to do the YouTube videos. The influencer that you probably watch on YouTube uses something to this effect with other handheld cameras and that type of thing. So that's what this is usually reserved for. And my dad's like, that has a great camera? And so <laughs> and so he's like give me that one. I'm going to go take some mad good pictures of my grandkids, right? And so he walks in uh, and he's like yo this is what I got and we're like man this is a lot of camera. I mean this is a lot of phone. He's like yeah yeah it is it's a lot of camera too. It's a lot of phone. And so he's like yeah yeah I mean and so we start to look at it and within a couple weeks it's funny cuz he's like man this was more phone than I needed. And he's like I'm taking pictures and it's asking me questions that I don't even I don't even know what it's asking me to be honest. I'm just like what codec? And I'm like <laughs> What? Uh, and so it was funny because it kind of went, you know, it, it played out before. So he was looking for a, a camera, a good camera, which, I mean, an iPhone. I have an iPhone 11. It's a great camera. I take pictures of my kids all the time. And they sold him this thing that had so much in it. But if I'm being honest, uh, and he knows how to work it now. He's, he's, uh, he's a pretty, pretty nifty, uh, a nifty dad. You know, he's working pretty good now. But um, if I'm being honest, that's a, a little bit of how we uh, actually handle the gospel right? We, we were sold the bill of goods um, that this can forgive your sins. And it's like, that's true. It meets that need directly. And that's the need that God most directly desires to meet in the gospel. And so we receive it and we're like, yeah, this forgives my sins. And it's like, dude, I'm walking around. and It's like, my sins are forgiven. But all the other implications and the things that that creates and all the other spaces where that reality is meant to be a blessing and this thing we're holding is meant to transform our lives and to encourage us. All the identity that it's supposed to create, all of the hope that it's supposed to give, right? all of the courage and boldness it's supposed to produce, we begin to just be like, I don't even know how to use that. And so we're walking around and going, yo, this forgives my sins though. Without tapping into the thing that jesus desires to do in this life right by producing these things inside of us through that good news through that gospel and today that's a bit of why i want to explore how this works because when we begin to dig in to the proverbial iphone right to the good news and begin to understand here's how Uh, these realities of what Jesus has done begin to impact my life. All of a sudden, I'm starting to use this good news that I've been given in ways that when I encounter the struggles, again, the very human experiences in my life that are challenging me, that are really oftentimes lying to me, that are trying to pull my attention away from Jesus, I begin to go, no, no, I can use this for this. This is exactly why I haven't. This is the exact scenario that I'm supposed to use this in. Here's how I do it. And so today, we're going to really dive into that kind of inner working, some of the mechanics of the gospel. Uh, And specifically, we're going to explore the idea of justification. Now, if you don't know what that means right now, that's okay. We're going to define that term a little bit later. Uh, But then after that, we're going to take a look. Once we explore that one idea, justification, we're going to take a second to to really tease out four to five implications that really come from that idea. And so that's going to be the trajectory that we have here. Uh, and I already took up a few minutes more than I was supposed to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in. And what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to build it out from there. And then we're going to step away from the text and just think about this together and try to apply this to four to five areas, depending on how much time we have, uh, four to five areas of our life so we can really see how it practically works. Does that make sense? That worked? All right. Let's go ahead and start. Again, Galatians 2, 15. Reads like this We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You notice Gentile sinners has quotation marks around it. And when we dive in, these are the first words. Uh, really introduced in the second part of an argument made by Paul to Peter. If that it makes sense, that's okay. Uh, really, it's a continuation of an argument. Paul is talking to Peter about some stuff. He's kind of challenging Peter about some stuff. And he, in the last text, we haven't read that yet, uh, really kind of throws out a specific challenge. And then in this verse, he begins to summarize his whole argument against Peter. And, and Paul here is using sarcasm. So when you read that, this is why it's really important to read the Bible as like, you know, like, in context, like at least read a paragraph or a chapter, because when you just read a verse, you'll be like, yo, we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. <laughs> and then you're just walking around like, dude, I'm a Jew and not a Gentile sinner. Right. And it's like, that's where that's not what's happening here. And so he's using sarcasm uh, in this way uh, to communicate a long held belief from the Hebrew people that Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jewish people, were sinful in a unique way just by being who they were, the way they ate, the way they acted, the way they worshipped. It was not just actions. This whole idea that's captured in this one verse is actually Paul communicating, this is how you see Gentile, non-Jew, non-Hebrew people, because they're not just sinful actors. The sinful actions they, they do are just really extensions of who they are. It's just who they are that makes them that way. It's racist, is all. Get out, right? This is the this is the type of idea that people have used to be prejudiced, like across time, and yeah, it was very prejudiced here. How do we know that? Well, even in second century B.C. writings. Uh, This one specifically called the Jubilees, uh, one, again, that was widespread and wide read uh, for the people uh, that Paul is speaking to, the people that Peter would call his people. Uh, In a text in that writing, literally, it says, separate yourself from the Gentiles and do not eat with them and do not perform deeds like theirs and do not become associates of theirs because their deeds are defiled and all of their ways are contaminated and despicable and abominable. It's not the Bible saying that. This is not God saying that. Hear me, this is not, if you open your Bible, you're not going to find Jubilees in there. Uh, But this was a popular writing during this time. And so this was a belief that was widely held amongst Jewish people. When they saw Gentiles, they saw them as abominable, right? As this idea of that everything they do is just rotten because it's, it's just who they are. It's just what they are. It was so widely held that just prior to the text, that we read today, uh, an episode between Peter and Paul spurred up uh, that really brought this conversation on. If you go to Galatians 2, 11 through 14, just right above this, uh, this is the famous like Paul and Peter beefing with each other text, right? So starting in verse 11, it says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for he regularly ate with the Gentiles. You remember that text just a little bit before? It was like, don't ever do that. Um, He regulated with Gentiles before certain men came from James. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and so these were very probably proudly Jewish men. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Again, that is Jewish Hebrew people. Uh, Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's why this is so powerful. Peter was one of the first to receive a vision from God uh, that God was making all things new and all things approachable, right? He receives his vision of like, all these unclean foods, the dietary restrictions that Jews had, all these things kind of like piling down. And like he had this vision basically him like stuffing his face with. Him. And he was like, God, I've never eaten an unclean thing in my life. And God was like, I'm making all things clean. And he was like, hey. And so he starts partaking. And right after this, he actually leads a Gentile. He leads a non-Jewish person to faith. I, I believe it might have been the first non-Jewish person. No, that actually isn't right. Um, but, yeah, so he, he leads this person, this Gentile, to faith. Uh, And so he really is one of the first pioneers to this idea of no longer uh, seeing a culture, a food group, um, a person as in and of themselves taboo or evil. Uh, he, He now was one of the pioneers of helping the church understand that as long as a person followed Jesus in their way of life, Right, their commitment to the ethics and the morals of Jesus' way, of loving and caring for people and being devoted to God, now these cultural and ethical standards were no longer applied to people. He understood that, and yet in this moment, he has this pressure applied to him from these Christian Jews that came and said, no, Christians need to be more Jewish, not less Jewish. And all of a sudden, he starts feeling that pressure because they came from James, who was in Jerusalem, which was a big church and probably the most influential church at the time. And so he's feeling, that's not to say that James necessarily believed this, but he's feeling pressure from people that he perceives maybe to be influential. He's feeling that, he feels the rack of that pressure, and all of a sudden he starts retreating from the thing that he once walked in. He starts retreating away from hanging out with the Gentiles and eating with the Gentiles and and even just sitting with the Gentiles at this time was Pretty taboo. And so, as soon as they come and they start pressuring him, he walks away and he starts disassociating with the Gentiles. And Paul comes out and says, Hey, how can you, who live like a Jew, who live like a Gentile, now ask Gentiles to be like Jews? He has an issue with it because he understands you're communicating not just something little about the gospel, you're communicating something fundamental about the gospel. You're communicating that in order to be a part of this community, in order to be accepted by God, you have to hold these cultural standards, these ideas that that people have to adhere to in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, even in order to just to be eaten with. And all of a sudden, Paul has big beef and he ties it back to this idea again. He ties it back to saying, see, what happened here is that you think because they're Gentiles, they're naturally bad. That's the pressure you came to used came to this pressure that the idea of this culture this people was evil and therefore they were not worthy to be associated with and their ways are not worthy to associate with and so they may believe in the same jesus as you they may make the same confessions about that jesus as you they may abstain from the things that jesus has told them to abstain to that paul has told them to abstain to that peter himself probably told them uh, from to abstain from but all of a sudden because you're receiving this cultural pressure you have backed off and said never mind I can't really associate with y'all and here's the thing Paul understood that this was a prime example of just making culture into gospel making culture into gospel hey you gotta eat like this hey you gotta sing like this did Jesus say it no but it's what we do and friends hear me we're really good at this We read a text like this and we go like, oh, man, that sucks. And then all of a sudden you realize that the world you live in is largely this world. The church world you live in is largely this world. I remember coming to faith when I was about like 19 or so. And I came to faith, loved Jesus, read the Bible like from front to back in the first year. I mean, I just was in love with with Jesus. And then I've slowly started to dive into this theological world called the Reformed world, right? Just this, this world that has, uh, places a high value on God's sovereignty in salvation. It's a theological idea, meaning an idea from the Bible that I would probably still hold to. But when I started to explore that theological idea, it came with all this cultural baggage. And they started saying, the things I would read would start saying, like, only these type of songs are good. Only these type of ways to read scripture are good. Only these type of ways to interpret this word are good. And really only this type of person that lived before this year in order in this specific part of the world, only that person is a good person to read from that specific day and age in the 18, 1700s, 1900s, whatever. And all of a sudden it started telling me, here's all the things that are good. Here's all things that are not good. What ended up happening is I started going back to really a lot of the way that I grew up singing what, what we called back in the day, coritos, which are like little Spanish choruses uh, in church. Uh, and I started looking at those and going, none of these are good. None of these are right. None of these are good things. These don't help me. These don't point me to Jesus. These were all wrong. And I started nitpicking in every little thing. And all of a sudden, everything that grew up, everything that formed me, everything that taught me about who Jesus was, that Jesus used to bear fruit and to draw me to himself, I now looked at and went, that's all bad. It wasn't until probably like three or four years ago that I started really working my way out of that idea. But it doesn't mean that it's not still pervasive. In fact, just a couple of days ago, I was with a pastor... Um, And that pastor, me and him, were having a discussion uh, about incorporating more diverse cultures, uh, theological cultures and and ministry cultures into uh, this space, into a Sunday morning. And I said, man, I love the song called Levanto Mis Manos. It's a song in Spanish. It really talks about raising your hands. And when you raise your hands, God gives you strength through his spirit to continue pressing on. It's a song that I remember singing so much. And he looked at me and said, see, man, like, that's really good. Like, we do need that. Because we need a steak like Come Thou Found, And we do need mashed potatoes like Levanto Mis Manos. So you may not have caught that. But the steak, the protein, was the one written in 1700s by the white guy that everyone knows that's good. But the mashed potatoes... Are the ones written by that Mexican cat? We don't really know exactly where he was, but maybe in the late 70s. But that's the distinguishing mark. But when you look at it, come now found talks about God interjecting his love into your life and saving you. Leranto Mismanos talks about me raising my hands and in a room that is a holiday-in conference room, the God of the universe comes and meets me where I'm standing and says, here's my strength so that you can press on. One is not steak and one is not mashed potatoes. They are both grand mysteries of God that he would greet me with love as a sinner and that he would greet me with strength as a weakling. They are both mighty, beautiful, powerful messages about God. But when our culture becomes the gospel, all of a sudden we look and go, but that one's mashed potatoes and this one is steak. This is the idea that Paul's raging against, right? He's looking at it and going, no, 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 man, that is not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. You can't look at these people and say, because they're categorically different than me, they're somehow worse than me, or they need to be like me in order to be loved by my Savior. They can be Gentiles. Their job is to be found in Jesus. That's their job. That's who they're meant to be. Jesus is going to make new the culture that they live in because they were made in his image. The culture they created was created by image bearers who bear his image. And that culture, that people, that history has something to show us about who God is. And God has now, through the person of Jesus, come into the world to redeem that. So Paul rages. And he's like, oh, I see, I see what's going on. It's your culture. You think your culture is better than the other. So we can't make culture into the gospel because it's not the gospel. But then it's like, well, if it's not a culture, maybe it's like our performance, right? Because we have the laws of God, and that's a good thing. And maybe the laws themselves don't make us unique, but, but we have the laws. And so maybe if we have the laws, that means we can obey the laws. And so maybe it's not our culture that makes us better, but maybe it is our performance that makes it better. And all of a sudden, Paul jumps in and tackles that as well. In verse 16, he continues, and yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. That is the set of rules, the set of cultural standards uh, that the Jews and the, the, specifically the Jewish Hebrew people here had uh, religiously, uh, the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. We ourselves, meaning we, the Jews. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. This idea, this word justified, through almost the entire history of the Hebrew people, uh, was a word that was used to communicate like legal status. And oftentimes it was used to say like, hey, to make something right. But in the Septuagint, which is like the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what these individuals were probably reading, uh, it had had really turned into this idea of of meeting someone with grace, with mercy, with, 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 with labeling them not guilty, pretty much. Being like, no, you're acquitted. Still legal, but saying you're acquitted. You're not guilty. In fact, people were encouraged. Righteous judges were encouraged. Don't justify unrighteous people because you're acquitting the unrighteous. And so when Paul steps in here and says. That, yeah, you know what, Uh, we're not justified, meaning we cannot be acquitted. It's not our culture. And so if you take out the culture and say, well, maybe it's my individual performance, you're not going to be acquitted by that either. Because there's not a single person that can take a look at this law and be like, I've adhered to every single part of it. I've covered every single one of these. I have done so right that no one can possibly ever, at any point, look at me, at my heart, at my intentions, at my thoughts, and be like, this dude is as good as God. Not a single person. And so it's not the culture, it's not the performance. So what do we do? And this is where Paul comes in with the beautiful, just like right hook of the whole thing. Sorry, I was watching boxing last night. It's the only thing I can think of. Um, The right hook of the whole verse and in Galatians 19 and 20 says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, because this Jesus has entered into my world and he himself has taken on the law and perfected it, I, and then taken the cross and died in my place, I now live in him. He lives in me. Everything that I cling to in order to be accepted, everything that I cling to in order to be loved, everything I cling to in order to have my identity uh, placed and found and and secure is in him. He's the one that, that, that I find my security in. He's the one that I find my rest in. In fact, no longer do I live according to the desires of my own mind or the mind of other people, but he now lives in me. Whatever he desires to do is the thing I desire to do. Whatever he says is right is the thing I aspire to, right? Who he is and the culture that he builds and the right and wrong that he says are right and wrong. That's what I'm in. That's who I am. His spirit has now indwelt me and the life that I live, a life that aspires to follow God, to love him and to be known by him and to know him and to make others know him and and believe in him is now just motivated by him alive in me. That's my identity now. So it's no longer this cultural thing, and it's no longer this performance thing. Now it's simply this Jesus. And this is what Paul does is this, like, comeback against Peter in order to really set right what Peter caused in this church in Galatia, which was a mess. Or in Antioch, I mean, which was a mess. It was like people would have been believing, like, yo, I can't eat shrimp, right? And it was like, oh, no, I ate shrimp last week, right? And all of a sudden, Paul comes in and is like, no, 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 eat shrimp all you want to but crucify the flesh. Surrender your desire for evil. Repent and plead with God and receive the grace of the Almighty that has been bought for you through the man hanging on the cross. Cling to that. So he's fighting for really the soul of the gospel in this text. And that's why it's important. This idea that we're justified not by the things we do, not by our culture, not by our performance, but rather by our faith, our belief, our alignment with the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. That's where I find my identity now. That's where I find my acceptance now. That's where I find my justification. That's where I find my innocence. That's where I find my cultural uh, appeasing. That's where I find all of it now. And this is really important okay, these are the mechanics that I was talking about. This is the whole forgiving of sins portion, right? When it's like, I have a camera. It's like, this is the part where it's like, this forgives my sins. I have faith in Jesus and that justifies me. I don't know how I'm talking like that. But, right, that, that's this part. But when we begin to unpack this and we begin to tease out, here's how this really starts to impact what you do. There are implications to that reality that impact our lives like right now. And right now, what I want to do is, having established that, I want to work out a bit of, like, I'm going to go four implications. There's another one, but I'm not going to have time for it. If you want it, you can email me. The implications of this are powerful, and I want to give you a few. The first is that, one, it frees us from people pleasing. Go back to Peter's story, Uh, right? The circumcision party, again, which is just the Jewish Christians that are advocating for Jewish practice in Christianity, come and they're like, yo, bro. Uh, this isn't cool. You can't associate with these people. We're influential. This is the way we're trying to peer pressure you, right? Peter, uh, what Paul would have hoped is that Peter would have looked at this reality and said, dude, your opinion of me is not greater than his opinion of me. You can call me a fool. You can call me an abomination. He calls me holy and he calls me loved. I'm good. This is literally what Paul himself does in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, where people try to charge him with being weak. And he's literally like, you think I'm weak? You think I'm a bad guy? You don't even know me. And I don't mean that like you don't know me like I'm a better guy. He's like, I'm probably worse than you think. (laughs) But I know how God judges me not because of who I am, but because of the work that his son has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. I don't need your opinion of me to be good. I have his opinion, and that's the authority that I stand on to lead you, right? What a beautiful ability to look and say, like, no, people-pleasing is not something I have to succumb to. He, Listen to me. Is it something that I feel pressured by? Yes. I'm a human being. You're a human being. We feel pressured oftentimes to feel like we have to please people, that we have to earn their affections, affirmations in some way. And we were meant to be in community, but community in a perfect world. And so that desire to be in unity with someone is good, but that desire to derive our affections and affirmations from that person's approval is not good. And therefore the gospel comes and says, you don't need that no more. You got mine. That's what it was supposed to be. But here's the thing. It frees us from people pleasing, but it also frees us from people hating. Let me tell you a story real fast. I got a buddy I'm throwing all my pastor buddies under the, but y'all don't know any of these people. So I feel like, and I'm not using their name. Um, This is a a pastor buddy. And he was was very hurt by the church that he worked at prior. And so while pastoring his own church, he wanted to build that church to be as awesome as it could. Because he really was frustrated with the church that he worked at prior. And he wanted to prove himself to that church. And so he began to try to invest all of his energy and all of his resources in the church that he was pastoring. And through that church, he was going to prove to the other people, man, you didn't value me, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I'm better than you thought I was. and I'm going to pour everything that I can. And I'm going to show you that I can do it without ever being like you. Until one day, someone in his church said, I need this. And he knew this person is a user. This person never really comes to church. And they spring up and they're like, I need this. And we also need this money in order to accomplish this, this, and that ministry goal. And if I can do this, this, and that ministry goal, then I can prove to the church that I used to work at that we're actually valuable. And so I am now going to treat this person the exact same way that that person treated me so that I can prove to that person that I'm not them. Does that make sense? It frees you from people hating No longer do I need to prove myself to people in order to receive the affirmation that I need. Because oftentimes when I'm striving to show that I'm not like someone, I end up becoming just like them. No longer. Why? Because when I'm proving myself, I'm actually spitting in the face of this good news. And when I'm looking at that person and being like, look, man. I'm sorry, if you have something against me, I desire to make it right. I desire to make peace between us, but I don't need your word about me to build my identity upon because I have this good news. right? So it frees us from people hating. But the, second, the third implication that I just want to offer you is that it frees us from self-hating. So I want to move from people, our interactions with others, to our interactions with ourselves. It frees us from self-hating because the reality is, again, our human experience tomorrow... Our human experience later tonight is going to tell us, like, yo, this can't be right. Because I'm finna mess up. Like, my son is so energetic, there is a 187% chance that I'm going to get overly frustrated with him by 9.15 this evening. That's going to happen. And in that moment, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror. And I'm going to question my love as a father. I'm going to question my affections for him. I'm going to question if I do the right thing then, but if I do the right thing at any time. I'm going to question if God made the right choice, making me a dad, making me a husband, making me a pastor. And I'm going to funnel all those questions through this head. And it's going to start the process of me being like, man, you suck, bro. And then the good news kicks in of saying, man, son, you weren't patient then. But here is some patience and let this patience mold you so that you can be more patient. Man, But I wasn't gracious with my son. That's OK. You're my son. And here's some grace so you can be molded by my grace. Man, but I wasn't gentle. OK, that's all right. Here's some gentleness because this has been purchased for you through the person and work of Jesus. Here is some gentleness so that this gentleness can now reform you and shape you so that you can be more gentle now. Right. This is the concept that's in like Titus. You all hear me say this verse like all the time. Uh, like Titus 2, 11 through 13, where it says now grace. Uh, this is not going to be on the board. Uh, Now, grace has been made manifest teaching people to renounce ungodliness. What teaches people to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions in that text? Guilt, negative. Conviction, no. Grace, right? This ability to look at oneself, the good news frees us from this habit of looking at oneself and going like, man, I hate you. And it's like, man, but that's, that's false because I love you. And if I love you, you can love you. But here's the last thing. It also frees us from self-serving. It frees us from thinking too little of ourselves and self-hating, but it also frees us from thinking too much of ourselves and self-serving. Because here's the thing. Once the gospel humbles and then says, here's grace, compassion, and humility, go and live that way. It frees us from this, this little thing working in us that is constantly checking off marks and saying, look how good I've done. God, haven't I earned something? God, haven't I earned your affection? Because God, haven't I earned your affection turns into God, haven't I earned a bigger house like that? God, haven't I earned your affection turns into God, haven't I earned a new job like that? God, haven't I earned your affection turns into God, haven't I earned a new car just like that? and all of a sudden all the checks that we have built up become the same thing that fuel our bitterness when i look at my 2007 honda odyssey that just got the check engine light going on and i'm like god but look at my resume look at my resume look at all that i've done i've been pastoring this church i've been faithful All right, I'm a decent dad, I'm a good husband. I mean, like, look at all the things I've done. Don't I deserve this thing? And all of a sudden, now I'm holding God accountable for things I believe I've earned, looking at him and calling into question his goodness based on my pathetic attempts. The gospel takes that and goes, no, 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 you can't earn that. You ain't done enough to earn that. But here's my goodness still. Here's my grace still because of Jesus. You ever wanna know why? Um, Let me rephrase this. You ever wanna know how you can see me love you? Because I testify to the fact that nothing you've done is good enough. And I also freely give you my love through my son hanging on the cross still. So the gospel, the good news, it frees us from people pleasing, it frees us from people hating. It frees us from self-hating, and it frees us from self-serving. These are just four implications, and I'm out of time, big time. But these are just four implications. But this is how we begin to use these realities, right? We begin to understand, yo, this good news has been given to me. Bless you. This good news has been given to me by God, and now I'm going to take that, and I'm not just going to be like, I got a camera. Yo, I could take pictures. This forgive, like my sins are forgiven, but I'm going to take the realities of my sins being forgiven and load them against the way the world, the enemy, my flesh wants to come at me. And I'm going to start using that good news as a defense against those lies. Right. This is this is the pattern that I think Paul's going to start teaching us through huge chunks uh, of the upcoming weeks. And I'm excited about that. And so what I want to do today is, having gone through all this, I want to just pray. I don't want to ask that God would anchor our hearts in this news, that we would begin to concentrate on it so much, even like we did at first, right, where we just, like, stop during the day sometimes, and we're just like, God, remind me of the truth that your son has justified me. And through that reminder, be able to approach these parts of our lives that sometimes are challenging, discouraging, hurtful, And to give us grace when the things that we do are actually bad, right? When we actually mess up to come and not be like, God, I'm not worth anything. I'm never going to be a good this, but to be like, Lord, help me receive grace that transforms my heart and life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for the truth of what you've done in justifying us through the person and work of Jesus. Thank you that, Uh, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of like the chaos that surrounds us, when we end up coming to you, uh, or or we're unable to come to you, I should say, and then we try to derive our affection, our affirmation, everything else from what's around us, that in the midst of that, you enter into the world, and you do everything we can't, and you respond to the the, the urgings of God the Father in our place, and you perform perfect obedience, and you create the purest culture, all so that you can give it up on a cross and say, those of you who have failed through me now have the gift of grace and love and affirmation. Thank you, Father. Thank you that the good news of now your resurrection to say, and in me, you no longer have to to wallow in the reality that this is life and this is it. But now through the new life you have in me, there is hope for now to be transformed and there is hope for eternity to know that all this will be made right through me. Thank you for that good news today. Father, let that get into our crawl. Let that get into our heart. Let that get into every part of us so that as we walk through life, And when our human experiences try to take jabs at us, Father, that you, through your spirit, would remind us of the truth of the gospel, and we would respond by falling into the arms of our Heavenly Father, understanding what it is that you've done and how you've done it so that we know this is the truth about who I am. The good news of Jesus is the truth of who I am. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.